John 15. It's a famous passage in the Bible, and a lot of us um, have heard it, know of it. Um, it's a neat metaphor or parable. It's all about this gardener and this um, vine and the relationship between the two. But understanding it, living inside of it, mm, that can be a whole other thing. It says, I am the true vine and my father is the gardener. He cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit, while every branch that does bear fruit he trims clean so that it will be even more fruitful. You are already clean because of the words I have spoken to you. Remain in me and I will remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. If a man remains in me and I in him, he will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. If anyone does not remain in me, he is like a branch that is thrown away and withers. Such branches are picked up, thrown into the fire, and burned. If you remain in me and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be given you. This is to my Father's glory that you bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciples. Lord Jesus, I pray that... You will enable me to paint the picture, pull out all the words of the journey of the last few years and the lessons I'm beginning to understand. Lord, I pray that you would give us all the gift of understanding. Pray your Holy Spirit would very powerfully just help yourself to us as this is in many ways the whole of the point for which you came, that we would be intimate with you that we would remain in you, that we would take each breath inside the power of the Holy Spirit. So I pray, Lord, that you will help me to communicate that in Jesus' name. Amen. Um, Sean, I'm going to ask you to pull the house lights up a little bit because I do terrible if I can't see eyeballs. So give me something out there. Somebody can. See back there? Okay, thank you, Brian. (laughs) Um, All right. I want to just say to you guys very humbly with all of my heart that this topic, living from the secret place, is it's so huge and it really is the end all. It's, for a Christ follower, this is, this is the finish line on earth. You know, I mean, obviously the, the total finish line is when we get to go and be with the Lord and in all perfection and live with him in heaven. But while we're here on earth, Learning how to abide and remain in him is, that's it. That's the, that's the goal of all this discipleship and all this teaching. Every Sunday, it's all going to somehow pile into that drive or that desire to know how to just stay with Jesus, just stay with him all day long. So I tell you that I, I come with you, come very humbly because I do not have this down pat. I'll share more about that later. I am very much a girl on a journey. Um, I move in and out of this still, but um, I believe in it so much. It's my favorite thing to talk about. It's becoming my favorite thing to talk about. I believe these are the words that God presses on my heart. These are the words I feel I hear his spirit saying and beckoning for his people, for his bride, for his church. This is the cry of the bridegroom is come close, stay close. Let's do this together, you and me. It's a picture of the fulfilled Garden of Eden, God walking back again with Adam and Eve, and they're doing life together. 
It's the sin is no longer separating us. Jesus has done it all on the cross. So what are you waiting for? Come close, come close. Knowing it, understanding it is one thing. Doing it, executing it, boy, that's a whole nother thing. And so today I'm going to try my best to share with you some of the pictures and snapshots of my journey. Um, I shared with you two Sundays ago... Um, how the Lord, or I felt invited into the holy place. When I was 16 years old, my youth pastor taught me how to begin to read the Bible every day and um, in my bedroom all by myself and to meet God there in that quiet secret place. And I, shared, I brought all my journals and I showed you how over the years I just kept journeying there and journeying there and filling pages of prayers and meditations and thoughts and teachings and how the Lord began to shape my heart inside the holy place and inside of that secret place alone with God. And it's exactly what Jesus was talking about in Matthew in chapter six, when he says, go into the secret place, close the door and pray to your father who is unseen. Um, And your father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. This is a very big deal with God. This me and you time, this all by myself, the crowd is gone. Everything is faded and it's just you and me. God loves this moment. Well, for many years, I would have my devotion in the morning, and I remember in my devotion time picturing my afternoon, picturing what I had to do later that day. And I remember as a 17 and 18-year-old going, oh, I hope I can remember this. This is a really good one. Whatever verse I had just read, I wanted to almost like take the paper out of the Bible and like shove it into my heart because I could see the truth when I read it, but then going to school... I would often like fall flat on my face and not be able to execute it. And I remember so many times going through that process and in reflection on my failures going, I wish I could have just remembered, have I not commanded you be strong and courageous? Then I could have stood firm when I went instead. And I remember going, oh Jesus, I wish I could remember or I could see as clearly Later, as I do when I'm just with you, when I'm just all by myself and it's just me and you in the secret place, I feel like I'm pretty good there. But then I, I walk out and I go live my life and I trip. I just trip and I trip and I trip and I climb back in the secret place the next day and go, wow, whew, that was hard. And trying to get the word to go deep in my heart. And for many years, it was that in and out, in and out, in and out. Coming to Jesus in the morning, running off and doing my day, coming back the next morning going, wow, that was really hard and pray for me today and I hope I really get it done and then running off and doing my day and, you know, encountering all this stuff and then running back into his presence the next day. And this was kind of my journey with Jesus. It was this little running in and out thing. And I don't think, I'm pretty for sure, this is not the picture of remaining and abiding that Jesus had in mind in John 15. But this was my journey as a Christian. It's kind of in and out, in and out, in and out. Well, in the year 2001, The Lord brought me into a series of stern discipline from my daddy. Um, He talks about in John 15 how he'll prune branches that are unfruitful. He'll just cut them off and throw them away. Well, I would like to have John 15 written from the perspective of the vine who who likes that branch. Thought it was kind of pretty, thought it was kind of effective. And all of a sudden here come these big pruning shears and wallop that branch is gone and lying on the ground. And the vine says, well, I thought that was a good thing. But the gardener came after it. And the reason is because he wants the vine to be what? More fruitful. So he prunes back. But sometimes that pruning, in fact, most times, maybe all the time, pruning is uncomfortable. 
And it doesn't make me go, hallelujah. It makes me go, ow, that hurt. I love that. And in 2001, I went through a season where the Lord pruned. I mean, he pruned me back to the nub. Have you ever seen some of those trees where they just prune them, where there's nothing? We had a couple just across our, our neighbor's house across the street that did. And they're not very pretty. They're nubby trees. And the Lord just sometimes does that to our lives. He just cuts things off and you feel the loss or the diminishment of your beauty. It's like, I don't feel very effective. I'm just kind of nubby. Well, the Lord allowed that in 2001. And what happened is there wasn't any place to run. So I would do my little quiet time and that little, okay, now I'm going to go, ha, be active. The Lord very curiously pruned all those places I was running. He just cut them off. He took them all away. And I found myself being very much like Peter going, where am I going to go? I don't have any great ministry to run off to. I don't have any busy calendar. I don't have, I don't have anything to go distract me in this life. It's all gone. It's all been cut off. And at the same time that he allowed that pruning, he also allowed pain and disappointment and discouragement. A lot of pain came in those years. And I found myself having my Bible study in the morning, habitually getting up to walk into my day that didn't exist anymore and feeling this ache and this depression beginning to grow in my heart. My hands were so painfully empty. And I found myself stumbling into accidentally one of the great or ancient traditions of the faith. And that was the hours of prayer that would take place throughout the day because I'd find myself going, boy, one, one time with you today, Jesus isn't going to do it. I think I'm going to have to come back at lunch. So then I was back at lunchtime needing to sing and pray and be in his presence again. And I would feel him lift my spirit and raise me up and I would go off and do my day. And it was about three o'clock and the kids were coming home from school and I was feeling it sinking again and I'd get them taken care of and I'd find myself having to go back and I was grabbing my Bible all day long. I was just grabbing my Bible all day long and reading and listening and worshiping and praying. And each day he'd lift me, but I just had about an hour's worth of strength and then I was coming back going, I got to eat another bite of that that table of showbread. I got to get some more of that oil from the menorah. I'm dry. I got to fill a bowl full of prayers because I've got so many burdens on my shoulders. I can't even take a step. I just got to pray all this off of me. So I just kept going back. I just kept going back several times a day. And somewhere in the midst of that, it dawned on me. Oh, I wonder if the whole big idea in this is that I never leave. I'm supposed to stay here. That's what remain means. That's what abide means. I don't ever leave your presence. I don't ever shut the book and walk out of your presence. I stay there all day long. Oh, that's what Shannon was talking about a couple Sundays ago when he said, pray about everything. Pray all the time. So I don't go fix breakfast without Jesus. I don't get my, my stuff together for my day without Jesus. I do it in him. Wow, that was a mental blowing my mind thing. I was like, that's it, that's it, that's it. That's where joy is complete. I understand what he's saying in John 15. Okay, okay. Then 
It says, if you remain in me and my words remain in you, I get it, I get it, I get it. So you're talking to me and I'm talking to you. We're remaining all day long. We're just talking to each other. We're having a big, long talk all day long. I'm just staying in your presence. Oh my goodness, what a revolutionary moment that was for me. Psalm 63, uh, one through five, just talks about how satisfying God is, how we earnestly seek him, and how when we take a drink of him, we find him so satisfying. So I wanna tell you that I began my journey of learning how to abide by default. I didn't mean to. I just was hurting so bad. I didn't know where else to turn, and so I, I, I sat inside of his presence, figured out I was supposed to stay there, But as I did, I found him so overwhelmingly satisfying that I didn't even want to leave. I wanted to just stay and and figure out how I could stay. And so I started these intentional practices. I remember very well when I um, would get to my dinner preparation time, how I would intentionally grab worship music because I had always been taught and I believe that God inhabits his praise, the praises of his people. And when you sing to him, he does what? He lifts you up. And I was so hurting and so down that I just would put my worship CDs on while I was fixing dinner. And most of our meals during those years had lots of tears. They were seasoned with lots of tears because God was ministering to my heart and lifting my spirit and filling me up with his presence as I worshiped. And my my kitchen sink became an altar became an Ebenezer. It became a a place where I met God. I knew he was there for me right in the midst of all my food preparations. And my car became the mercy seat. Many times in that driver, in that little driver's seat and that steering wheel, it would be like I was curled up on the mercy seat right there between those two cherubim with their angel wings. I would just crawl up there and say, Jesus, I need you now. I need you now. And how he would meet me. And I would worship him and pray. And I would bring him into whatever activity it was. And I told my children this story this week, and I've told several of you this story before, but it really fits today. So I'm going to say it again. Um, When I really uh, got this whole thing come together for me in a very powerful way was one day when I was unloading groceries out of my car. And in Buffalo, New York's where we were living at the time, and they always have like, you know, 10 feet of snow on the ground. I don't remember how many it was this day, but it was cold and Shannon had been gone off to college for a couple weeks. He'd been gone. And so I'd been at home in the dead of winter by myself with the four children and had to go grocery shopping and negotiate the hard winter, the snowy streets. And Alec was with me. He was just like two years old. And so mothers, you can relate to the layers of bundling you have to put on a little two-year-old and the process it takes to get all of that on them, zipped, buckled, hat, zip, mittens, you know, boots, the whole thing. And when you grocery shop, and we had to grocery shop at four different stores because the budget was so tight, you know, you had to go get the cheap stuff here, the cheap stuff here, cheap stuff here. And you go in and out of the car and 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 mittens and hats and zip and I'm tired and I want to go home and got to find the budget and got to keep it all in the budget. Sometimes I think I would have a heart attack in the grocery checkout line. I felt like if I could bear the fruit of the Holy Spirit in the checkout line of the grocery store that I had arrived somewhere while managing my children and putting all the food on the belt and people behind me getting mad because I always shopped till my cart was like, because you know, I have four children. So just as a ma- I always make a scene in the grocery store. People always t- comment about my cart and I could never do it invisibly. So in the midst of all of that, by the time I got home from four stores, lugging Alec in and out, I was done all done. I was cranky and I put Ellick in front of Dora the Explorer and gave him a turkey sandwich and I 
faced the mountain of unloading the van of my groceries by myself while my husband's off learning spiritual truths and getting all this good stuff and my kids are off of school. I'm all by myself. And I remember the moment, I know exactly where I was in the kitchen when the Lord spoke to my heart and he said, Sherry, you can unload the car by yourself or we can do it together. And I remember thinking like, okay. It wasn't like, oh yes, Lord, that would be beautiful and holy. I invite you thou now into my mittens and my coat. It was like, yeah, whatever. So I started, I started and I'm like, opening the door. Thank you God that we have a door on our house. Because if we didn't have a door, then the wind would just blow right into the kitchen and we'd be cold all the time. Thank you, Lord, that I have boots on my feet. Thank you, I have socks inside my boots so that I don't get blisters. Thank you that I have jeans. Thank you that I have a coat. Thank you that I have three coats. Thank you that I have mittens. Thank you that I have gloves. Thank you for this van, even though it always doesn't run. But thank you that it has a door on the van. Thank you for this handle that sometimes works. Thank you that I can pull the door open. Thank you for these bags. Thank you for these fingers that can grab these handles. I'm going for everything I can think of to thank God for because it is not coming from a happy heart. It's coming from a mad heart. Thank you for these bags. Thank you for these bags. Thank you for these dumb cans that are so heavy and I got to carry them all by myself. And thank you for green beans, but I really wanted some other kind of vegetable, but I couldn't find them. And back and forth, back and forth I go. For 25 minutes, I'm unloading the car. But about 10 minutes in, I distinctly remember the change in my heart. And I started really meaning it. And I started going, thank you so much, God. I really, really mean thank you for this car because it would be really hard to have to walk in the snow. And I see people doing that, walking in the snow to get their groceries. And Ralph, thank you so much that I've got strong arms and I really can lug in all these groceries. And oh, thank you that my husband has a job that he can provide money so that I can go to the store so that I can buy this food. And God, thank you so much for this meal. And I can't wait to make this meal. And thank you for this table that we're going to get to sit at. And then I started getting all emotional. And thank you for my kids. And thank you that they're going to sit around this table and we're going to have great talks and they're going to eat this food. And thank you that we've got this house and I can tuck them into warm beds at night and on and on and on it went. And honest, true story. By the time I got done unloading the car, I was so lost in worship that I had to go to the worship CD and turn it on and just sit in the middle of my kitchen and cry because I just said, God, you're so good. And it's so much more fun to unload the groceries with you than it is to do it by myself. Thank you that you want to remain with me. You want to do all this with me and you don't, you don't ask me to do it alone. And that you delight over me and you rejoice over me. And look at what you just did. You just lifted my whole attitude. You renewed my mind. And Romans 12 talks about that. It says, um, therefore I urge you, brothers, in view of God's mercy, offer yourself as a living sacrifice. Remember the brazen altar? You climb up on it. Don't put a bull up there. You be a living sacrifice. That's not because you're going to die. You're going to live. You're going to live in that I sacrifice myself to you. And he says, um, holy and pleasing to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not conform any longer to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you'll be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. And after sitting inside of this practice of trying to stay in the presence of God, doing everything with God, praying about everything, praying all the time, remembering him, there was a radical transformation that began to take place in my mind. It is not completed. I do not stand before you complete. 
but there is a process taking place. I really do believe God started carving out new pathways inside my brain. He started training, retraining my instincts. Instead of reacting in this way instinctively, I began to have a caution or a pause to go, I don't want to go there because when I go there, I step out of it. I step outside of his presence. I want to stay. I want to stay. God, teach me how to stay. Um, as I began to sit in his presence and my mind began to be renewed, 2 Corinthians 10.5 talks about how we, we can demolish arguments and pretensions that set themselves up against the knowledge of God and we take captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ. I started getting better at that. And the reason I got better at it is because I was sitting inside his presence. I was beginning to get so familiar with the way that he felt. He is so full of peace and love and light and life. And I began to more quickly be able to recognize when the enemy was throwing in those fiery arrows. I was better able to to say, wait a second, that isn't from the Lord. I'm still not great at that process, but I'm getting better at it all the time. My, my response is getting quicker to be able to take that thought captive and make it obedient to Jesus Christ. And what began to happen in those years was that that tabernacle was moving into my mind. My mind was becoming that tabernacle. I could journey in and out of it right there inside my mind, and it could happen in an instant. Monasteries are built to try and foster this idea of remaining or abiding in Christ at all times by removing themselves from any distraction. But see, my call, and I believe all of our call, we're called to be missionaries. And so we've got to learn how to abide while dwelling among And that is a picture. One of my very favorite verses in the Bible is John 114. It says, the word became flesh and lived for a while among us. Jesus tabernacled, but the the tent that he wore was flesh. And it was like Jesus had been watching humankind wrestle with the truth of God for all these years. And finally, he said, wait, wait, wait. Here, let me show you. And he stepped into the picture and he tabernacled. He lived among us and all those words took on flesh. And that's the journey when this idea of dwelling in the presence of God, living in your mind, when it takes on flesh and you live with him, then you start looking like him. And people begin to get a glimpse of God by looking at you because we are his ambassadors. We are his hands and we are his feet. We are the body of Christ. And 1 Corinthians 6, 19 through 20 says, don't you know, you're the temple. You're the temple. You're the tabernacle. The Holy Spirit lives in you. This journey is here in your mind. There is a key word in John 15, verses five through six. It's a huge word, great big giant word. It's called uh, if, If, if a man remains in me and I in him, he will bear much fruit. If, but it is a discipline. It is a journey and it is a choice. And for, I started this lesson sincerely by about the year 2003 is when I intentioned in my journaling and in my prayers, I intentioned to try to learn how to remain in the presence of God. So 2003, it's now 2008. So I am five years old in my journey of trying to remain in the presence of Christ. And we all know what a five-year-old looks like, right? 
That's me. I still have so much to learn, but I want to tell you, I'm not six months old anymore. I'm not drooling on my bib anymore. I'm learning to walk a little bit. I'm learning to read a little bit. I'm like a five-year-old. I have good weeks and bad weeks, but I'm getting better. I'm growing. And it is the great passion of my life to remain with the Lord. Um, My hero in the scriptures is Enoch. And there's hardly anything written about Enoch, but the sentence that is written about him absolutely fascinates me. And it just says, Enoch walked with God and then he was no more. And the idea of remaining and abiding and walking with God in your whole life, I totally believe one day God just said to Enoch, do you want to go to my house tonight? And Enoch said, okay, I'm with you all day anyway. Death really wasn't, death really wasn't much. It was just going home. In the five years of trying to do this, I can tell you that I have learned that you can leave in an instant. You can leave in an instant. You can run right out of the Holy of Holies, right through the holy place, right out of the outer court and down the mountain. And it can happen like this, bam! And I have done it so many times. And I find myself falling down the mountain going, how did I get here? (laughs) How did that happen so fast? And it's just my flesh. Stuff that makes me angry, stuff that makes me mad, or it's my sin. Sin does it really quickly. When I sin, I'm just blasting right out of that, um, that intimate place. And I'm choosing something other than God. Now, if that sin remains, uh, if it's unrepentant sin, it'll keep me out for a while. But the thing that's so exciting is I'm getting better at learning my way back. I just turn around and start going back up that mountain in my mind and in my heart, and I encounter that one door. Oh, Jesus, I'm so glad you've invited me back in, and there's the brazen altar. Please forgive me. Please forgive me. Please wash me in the laver. And then running back into that holy place going, please, I want to stay. I want to stay. I want to eat of your word. I want to drink of your Holy Spirit. I want to pray to you. And learning, learning how to stay and remembering the way back. The thing, other thing I've learned about remaining or living from the holy place um, in my five years of trying is that it absolutely requires long talks alone with God. It requires frequent, long talks alone with God. Yes, there is remaining. Yes, there is abiding. There's living your life and multitasking and being with God and being with others. But Jesus himself modeled this for us. And in Mark, um, let me see, I've got it. Mark one thirty-five. very early in the morning while it was still dark, Jesus got up, left the house and went off to a solitary place where he prayed. Shannon mentioned this verse a couple of weeks ago. And then Luke 5.16 says, but Jesus often withdrew to the lonely places where he prayed. And I just want to ask you, is there any relationship in your life, any relationship in your life that can sustain intimacy without long quality time moments alone? Can you be intimate with your spouse if you have ignored them for weeks? Can you be intimate with your child if you never sit and look eye to eye? Can you be intimate with any friend if you haven't cared about their journey for a long time? Why do we think we can sustain intimacy? We can't even sustain intimacy with our human friends. How can we sustain intimacy with God when we ignore him? When he beckons us, come, come. I have so much to say to you today. I know what's going to be ahead of you today. Do you? 
do you know what you're going to face today at 3 o'clock? I do. I know what you're going to encounter tonight at 8. Could I just have a moment with you? Could I whisper something in your ear that's going to sustain you at 3? Because I love you. This is the way. Walk in it. Can we just be alone for a little bit? Just me and you. Nobody else. Just me and you. Could you look at me in the eyes for a long time? Because I have so many things I want to say. I hope God chases you with the words I just said. I hope he chases you until you surrender and go, oh, okay. I was going to do something else. But I'm going to turn the TV off and I'm going to sit in your presence. Or I'm going to get up a little early. I'm going to set the alarm clock 30 minutes early. And that will be a sacrifice of praise. I will give up a little bit of sleep. And oh God, you know it's going to kill me. Because I have to have my sleep, or I have to have my show, or I have to have my Facebook, or I have to have my... But just put it all aside and just go, wow, okay. Okay, you're big, you're good. I, I say I love you, I sing all those songs. I'm going to let you love on me. You cannot, you can't live from the holy place without letting him be a priority. It, it looks, and you know what? If you're going to be a person who is marked as a person who is desiring to live in the presence, to abide and be with God, your friends are all going to know it. Your friends are all going to know there's something about you. They're going to know this, this person has got carved out time that's just for God. Your spouse is going to know it. Your spouse is going to know, oh, wait, I can't interrupt right now. They're talking to somebody else. Your children are going to know this. Your children are going to find you in the quiet place, and they're going to begin to know, I can't interrupt right now. There's a conversation going on. And it's valuable to this person. This person has set aside this time. Your friends are going to know it. You're going to become marked as a person who is frequently being like Jesus. And you are often withdrawing to lonely places to pray. You've got this otherness about you. There's something in your eyes that looks like you belong somewhere else. And you really are just a stranger passing through this land. Your home is somewhere else. And you're often journeying to be and to sit inside with your father. Most recently, what I have learned about the Holy of Holies is that if the outer court is about emptying, if the outer court is about putting things down and emptying, and the holy place is about filling, then I have learned that the holy of holies is about emptying again. I come with my hands full of sin and I, I lay it all down and he takes it and cleanses me and forgives me. I run into the holy place and he fills me. He fills me with his spirit and his word and his will. And he, he gives me strength and he gives me vision. And then if I take one more step, this is where I'm, what I'm learning right now. If I take one more step into the holy of holies, it's about him squeezing it all out. Everything he poured in, he wants me to pour out. And as I get into the Holy of Holies, I want you to know that what I'm learning is that it isn't about me, as Shannon shared last week. It is not about me anymore. I've prayed out all my worries. I've prayed out all my agendas. But when I walk into the Holy of Holies, I take my ear and I lay it against the chest of God and I listen for his heartbeat. And it's about what's on your heart. What's on your mind? What are you concerned about? I want to be about, I, be, I become consumed with what's on his mind. And some days it's India. 
Some days it's not my grocery budget. Some days it's Asheville and the city of Asheville. And sometimes it's not my children. I, I pray all those burdens out. And when I walk into him and I listen to his heartbeat, sometimes my prayers start getting bigger and I start getting more faith because it's him. It's his desire. If you remain in me and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be given you. This is to my father's glory that you bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciples. How can that be true? Ask whatever you wish and it will be given you. How can that be, how can that be true? It, because if you're abiding, if you're remaining, then his heartbeat is your heartbeat. What he wishes is what you wish. So ask what you wish because you will be praying his heart right back to him. And there will be such a beautiful intimacy inside of that dance that God will say, we are friends End of John 15, he says, I no longer call you servants. You're my friends. We labor together. It's like a picture of Joshua. Joshua chapter 10. In one of the big battles, Joshua was fighting with his sword. And God shows up beside his buddy. And God shows up with hailstones. And they fight together. And Joshua held what he could hold. And God held what he could hold. And they labored together. They fought together. They are friends inside of the same purpose. And when you live in the holy, when you live from the holy place, like Jason said, you're not just visiting there, but you live there. You dwell there. You are a person consumed with the purpose of God. You are a person consumed with the heart of God. You are a person who begins to linger and look like the one that you are adoring. And it is my heart for this church that we together spur each other on towards this endeavor.